This is June Moon, and today we're going to be talking with Richard Steele. His 49-year career in broadcasting has always been a balancing act, and his journey as a music DJ, a radio talk host, and later a TV talk host, he's always found ways to entertain as well as inform his vast multicultural audience. Still has an affinity for the African-American community because that's where his foundation and cultural roots are. Listen, all these years that I've been on radio in Chicago, like, uh, actually I'm still doing some radio, uh, but people will all, and this happens to me all the time, people say, Steel, I remember you with the good guys. I remember you being on that calendar they put out with everybody on there and, uh, <laughs> you know, in that car. I didn't work there during that period. Right. I worked there <laughs> afterwards, after they were all gone. Uh, and I think my WGRTWJPC experiences, uh, I was pretty out in the street a lot. And so people yeah. recognized that and connected me with them. So I got to a point where I don't even argue. If, if you yeah. tell me you saw me on that calendar, remember the calendar they put out? Yeah, I know, exactly, in the yeah. convertible. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, the convertible was, <laughs> I wasn't on that. And right. they would say to me, yeah, that was, I saw that calendar with you on there, all, and all the good guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it got to a point where I just, I, you know, like, it comes up so often. I mean, I, I appreciate the fact that they remember me for being in radio and blah, blah, blah. Uh, but the thing that stands out to them uh, is WVON because yeah. it was so big, so huge, and yeah. it was Chicago radio. So yeah. they, they naturally connect me to that era, either that or with WTTW and the, you know the oldest thing, right. but uh, but that VON thing, Jesus, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's like gonna be on your tombstone, you know. Yeah, yeah we just so, still yeah. from the parade and you know from the yeah, VON yeah. poster. <laughs> right, one of the good guys. And, right, you, know, I mean, you you would not believe how often I hear that. You would not even believe, you know. So I, there's no point. In me. I just leave it alone, you know, unless somebody you know, goes a little further with that and says to me, well, something about, uh, and even beyond that, they said, well, you worked with uh, Herb Kenton. Well, I did at a later point. Well, you know, it was you and Butterball and you know, Joe Cobb. And nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you know, Rodney Jones. Yeah. <laughs> no, I knew everybody and I was connected with everybody, but uh, they just... They they're locked. They've got that locked into their minds. Yes, you know what I mean. It's embedded, and, and there's nothing, nothing I can do about it. Nothing, you know? nothing so. to change it. Well, man, you know, with all these years, um, uh, I don't want to start like in with the history. I just I want to just go to some direct things. Like, what was your um, the most for you? What was the best interview that you done? I mean. You know, just what do you, re I mean, you have so much shit that you've done, but what stands out for you as the most, the best interview that you've done, that you enjoyed? Uh, well. Do you remember them? I got a list here. <laughs> I can remind you of what you've done. Well, no, I can, I can tell you off by the top. As a matter of fact, this interview with Ossie Davis was such that when he died, uh, VON, somebody at VON knew about, I, I did the interview at WBEZ, but somebody at uh, VON knew about the interview and called me and asked me if they could get permission, could I get the interview and uh, could they run it on WVON? Nice. So I uh, 
because I think at that point, maybe I was not at BEZ. Uh, I'm not sure. But anyway, I talked to BEZ because they, they had a, BEZ had a connection with VON. They did a couple simulcasts together about politics and some other things. So they had a relationship. Right. So when I asked them, they said, you know, yeah, we can, uh, yeah, we, we can, they can use it. And uh, the interview with Ossie Davis was just amazing because he was such a, he was not only a, a visionary, he was current. I mean, he was, he was current with, with whatever was happening with people who were like in their 20s, as well as being a guy who uh, gave the obituary at Malcolm X's funeral, you know, and he, mm -hmm. he, it was, he was here doing a movie. And uh, my producer called and set it up. So I went on the movie set and sat in a trailer with him. Hmm. And uh, he was so, he was honest. Uh, he was, you know, there was no bullshit involved. He was just, he was straight up. Hmm. I asked him questions. He would, and he had so much history, but he didn't try to bowl you over with it. What he did was just, we had a conversation. And uh, it was just amazing to me, all the stuff that he'd done and all of the uh, experiences that he had and he was able to share them, uh, not in a, in a way that was braggadocious. He was just a guy who was committed to black people. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, he was telling me, and he, he had told this story before, but he was saying that in the early part of his career, uh, he and Ruby Dee, they, there were very few parts in movies. And so they uh, created this, this show, you know, it was a, two-person show about black history and they would go to various colleges and present it they get paid for that and that was a real big part of their thing because hollywood wasn't calling his right. exact his exact words you know what mm -hmm. i mean so uh he was just a hell of a guy i mean I'm, i'll never forget talking to him you know even all the people i've talked to including barack before he became an elected official and mm -hmm. spike lee and a bunch of other people i've talked to Ossie Davis was solid. He's just a solid guy. And Belafonte was too. Uh, Belafonte was, uh, he was really uh, easy to talk to. And How about um, platforms? Because you've done multiple platforms. What was your favorite platform? TV, radio, live, you know, you've done it, <laughs> seeing and hosting. You know, I mean, it, you know, I mean, we, we, we take ourselves, I believe, we take ourselves so much for granted, you know, but there aren't a lot of people who do these things. I mean, you've done multiple platforms. So what was your, what is or was your favorite platform? You know, I'd have to say, I'd have to say radio in a specific form. This was radio when I was doing a jazz show because I love the music. And so having an opportunity to share that with an audience and share my enthusiasm for jazz was just, um, that was my dream job. When I got into radio back, way back in the day, before I was in radio, you know, I loved jazz a lot. Listened to, you know, used, I used to listen to jazz in New York. Um, used to listen to Sid McCoy here when I was living here. But in New, in New York, I, I was living in New York uh, in the 60s, uh, uh, 64 to about 68 when I got into the radio business. But I listened to a lot of jazz. I went to a lot of clubs and, and all of that. So it was a big deal for me. So at a later point, when I got to actually play jazz on the radio, it was like, this is the thing I really always wanted to do. <laughs> I mean, I liked the other stuff. I liked, obviously, I loved R&B and I loved the talk situations and television was, uh, was, uh, uh, was a nice piece for me to do uh, and get exposure. 
because with, with, with television, with Channel 11, that's one of the reasons I've lasted so long because of that exposure uh, in all parts mm -hmm. of Chicago, black, white, whoever, people saw me on WTTW. Mm -hmm. But doing a jazz show um, just was an incredible experience to me. The first time that I got a chance to do a jazz show on the radio was when I was working at WGRT when I first got here in 1970. And about maybe 71, Daddy O'Daly and, Daddy o and I, we had struck up a great relationship. He knew that I loved jazz. And he was a holdover from WAAF, which WGRT became mm -hmm. uh, when it was sold. So he, you know, AAF was an all jazz station. So Daddy, I guess, based on his contract, he stayed on WGRT. He was on like a little sliver in the middays, like, uh, and then that was over, and then he was only on on Sunday. Mm -hmm. So when he, we got, we had, we had a great relationship, and so he knew I loved jazz, and so when he went out of town or was on vacation, it got to the or one time he had a. a a contract dispute with a radio station. And uh, they asked me if I would do his show because I had shown an interest in jazz. And uh, I went to him and I said, look, while you all are having this dispute, the station asked me to do that Sunday show, you know, in addition to my regular show. And so he told me, I said, I wouldn't do it without your permission. So he said, listen, I know you love jazz. And so uh, uh, you'd be the best person to do it. And uh, he trusted me. And I did the show. And then after that, I did it when he was on vacation or when he was uh, uh, you know, out of town for one reason or another. He had never trusted anybody to do his show. Mm -hmm. And it was a big honor for me to be uh, a guy who did Daddio's show, you know, uh, jazz, Daddio on the patio. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that was, that was a big thrill. And then when I got a chance to do it full time was later on when I worked at WBEZ uh, when I was doing talk and jazz, I had a regular jazz show in the evening, and that was my greatest thrill. I did jazz five nights a week, and that was wonderful. We did have a playlist, but it was you you could you could also choose some stuff that you wanted to play. It was a mixture, mm -hmm. so um, uh, I, I loved it. I, I got a lot of great phone calls from people who were jazz people who listened to WBEZ uh, had jazz programming at that point from. Uh, in the evening until uh, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, so I think I was on from uh, eight to 10, I think. Uh, but I, I love that. Eight o'clock at night? Yeah. To 10 o'clock in the morning? Uh, no, no, no. 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, yeah, two hours. Yeah, two hours or three hours, I think, out right, of which right. now. But, gotcha. but that, was, that was the biggest charge for me. I mean, listen, I, you know, when I, when I used to listen to jazz on the radio, I used to think, Man, that is so cool to do. You know what I mean? When I was here in Chicago while I was still in high school and listening to Herb, I mean, I, I listened to Herb Kent, but listening to Sid McCoy, who actually lived next door to me on oh. uh, 79th and Eberhardt. Uh, he lived in that building, he had a wife and two daughters. And, and I used to see him come out of his, his uh, apartment, come out of the front door. And I think he had a 58 Chevy Impala white convertible. No, I was like, I was like, whoa! That was the stuff. Yeah, I mean, he'd come out and he'd have a, a suit bag over his shoulder, like he was going somewhere. And I just, I just thought that was really cool. I thought he was, you know, he was the be all, end all. And then uh, when I, you know, when I was living in New York, 
I went to, I went to a lot of jazz clubs and uh, there was jazz on the radio. And I was uh, just absorbed by that. But I was also absorbed by R&B radio in New York. It was WWRL, which was like VON was here. Um, but the jazz thing just was so attractive to me. But I realized that at a, there weren't people my age who were going to get a job as a disc jockey playing jazz on the radio. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So I just kind of accepted that I'm going to have to do something else. And uh, it's not that I didn't love the other music, but my main focus was jazz at that point. So, you know, I, I was thrilled to get my first radio job. And uh, I hoped at some point down the line, I'd get a chance to do jazz. Uh, just amazing I, that I got a chance to do it. I can't, sometimes when I was doing it, I couldn't believe it. I got yeah. a chance to do this, you know, yeah. and be and be cool and play yeah. miles. You yeah. Know? yeah. So what happened to Boston? We jumped from Chicago back to New York and you were at Wild for a minute, weren't you? What you yeah, I was. I was there for a minute. What were you doing there? Well, here's the story is this. Um, my radio career started at right? I was there for about a year. So um, the guy who was at WILD Wild in Boston was a guy that I went to radio school with. He had become the program director. So there's an agency in Chicago that, that was the rep agency for uh, the station that I used to work for in Virginia. And uh, they rep WGRT here in Chicago. Just to show you how stuff works. The owner of the station, manager of the station in Roanoke, was talking to the agency and the, the guy at the agency was saying, yeah, you know, we're looking for a guy for the radio station here in Chicago. Uh, there was a guy working there who the owner came in one Saturday and saw him watching television in the studio. He wanted to fire him right away. So, so uh, they want to get somebody. I hadn't fired him yet, but they want to get somebody. And so when they had this conversation, he said, well, I know a guy that used to work for me. I was in Boston at that point. Right. Uh, he's from Chicago. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he would like a shot. So the guy that I used to work for, because I maintained a good relationship with him, he called me in Boston and said, there's, there's a possible shot in Chicago. How do you feel about that? I said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> so he said, well, here's what you got to do. And I was in Boston for about a year. I was doing mornings. So uh, what, he, what happened with me, I called the agency, the rep agency, and they said, yeah, uh, it's a real situation. Uh, send your... Send your uh, your tape. So oh, I did, and they forwarded the, the tape to WGRT. I get called WGRT, and they said, "Look, uh, we like what we hear. You know, uh, that's a possibility. Can you come in for an interview?" Uh, I said, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> I have to fly in from Boston, right, uh, to Chicago. So the deal with that was, uh, I, I came in on a Sunday. And uh, the deal was, if they hired me, they'd reimburse. If not, you know, it was on my dime about flying from Boston <laughs> to Chicago and back. So that's kind of what it was really a strange situation, though, because when I got here on that Sunday, I was interviewed by four different people. It was Eddie Morrison, who was program director. There was a guy named Ray Wheat, who was the traffic manager. Uh, there was the owner, a guy named Ralph Atlas. And uh, somebody else, Eddie Marson, I say Eddie, he was program. So anyway, I came in and I got these four people in his office. And so 
Ralph Atlas, the owner said, you'll love this story. He said, uh, so they, they said, well, they asked me a few questions about you know, things that I was interested in and all of that. Then they said, uh, they wanted to know what my interest was. First of all, they asked me about my social interests. And uh, I, you know, I, I said, well, I'm you know, pretty much involved with the, with the music and that's what I, I, I was really involved with politics, but I wasn't gonna say that because you know, I was trying to get the job. And uh, that was in, I think back in November, that's when Fred Hampton was killed by the police. Mm. So it was a big issue in Chicago and I didn't say shit about that. I just, you know, I, I, I had a commitment personally, but the reality was I wanted to get the job. So right. I didn't say anything about it. I said, I don't have any interest in anything but music, you know what right. I mean? So, so, so here's what happened. All right, so they said, so they, they said we, we, we agreed to see you because we liked your tape. Okay, that's cool. So the owner, Ralph Atlas, Real, he was a <laughs> Jewish cat with a, it's a long story. But anyway, he said, uh, yeah, well, he said, well, I hired a guy one time to do sports and uh, he had a good tape. And then I'm in my car on the expressway and I heard him on the air and he was terrible. This tape was a fake. He said, so I called the station and had him fired immediately. <laughs> Damn. So, so he said, uh, what we want you to do is go into the studio into our uh, studio that we do commercials and all that. Go into the studio and uh, we want you to kind of do a simulation with a couple of records and a couple of, uh, a couple of spots. So there was a guy named Terry. I'll never forget. I, to this day, I think and he's passed away now. But he was there to do this because in Chicago, it was a, you know, engineer, disc jockey thing. Right. A board operator, and I hadn't—I had not had that before. I didn't have it in Boston. I didn't have it in Virginia. So I was like, "Oh, God, how's this going to work?" So I, so they said, "We're going to plug it in. We'll be in—we'll be in our office, and we're going to plug into the speakers. We'll—you know—we'll hear you do what you do." That was moon. That was very intimidating. It was like, wow. "Damn," you know. So, wow. so I go in the studio, and I meet Terry. He said, "Look, man, I, you know, I know what—I know what you're going through." He said. Uh, I'll handle all the technical stuff. All you got to do is do your thing. Uh, introduce a couple of records and do some live spots, but uh, I'll engineer the board. I'll do everything and I'll support you in every way, man. I've got you back. Man, that was so helpful because I was nervous, but I didn't have to do any, you know, any work, uh, any, any technical work. You had to do the board at all. So, um, so that's, that's what the deal was. And uh, after we did that, and I came back in the office, they said, okay, well, you're our guy. So we'll see you in two weeks. I went, oh, shit. <laughs> this, oh, is wow. like, this is amazing, you know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. uh, so I, you know, in two weeks, I was, I was in Chicago. And, uh, you know, that was 1970. And I, had, I, I was here all from then on, which is unusual for disc jockeys, because except for the people at VON, uh, who stayed a long time, people, generally speaking, don't, are not in the market that long. Right. You know, they go from place to place. Right. Um, let me tell you this quick story, though, about those jobs. I, the only job that I almost got was in Atlanta. Before the thing came up about going to, before it came up to going to, uh, came up about going to Virginia. You know, because when I sent that tape out, they hired me, but I was making $80 a week, by the way. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm $160, which was $128 every two weeks. I'll never forget that. I ate a lot of chicken unlimited. Remember them? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it was like a dollar seventy-five, sixty-eight or something. You have one piece of chicken, 
a biscuit and a drink. I ate a lot of that. <laughs> so the deal was with this first job, I'm trying to get this job. Before I got the first job in uh, Roanoke, Virginia, I got a response from a station in Atlanta. I was like, oh man, Atlanta, this is happening, right? Yeah. So they called me and they said, listen, we liked your tape, blah, blah, blah. You know, like we, you know, we like new voices and, you know, people who are fresh and young and all of that. Uh, I wasn't that young, but so uh, they said, well, hey, look, this is a new station, a new R&B station. We're going to kick it off at the first of the year. This was like in uh, maybe October that I got this letter. I still have the letter. Wow. And uh, they said, well, you know, like we'll start in, at the first of the year and then, you know, we'll be calling you to have you come to come down. So I, I kept calling and the guy said he was going to hire me. He kept ducking me. You know what I mean? So finally, I got hold of the guy and he said, yeah, he said, you know, we're, you know, the old story about we're going in a different direction. Right. So <laughs> uh, we, we, may, we may call you at a certain at a, at a point later. But, but, but Moon, check this out. Had I gotten that job, and this is how, you know, life goes, you know, because you've been through life changes and uh, happenstance and circumstance. Mm. Had I gotten that job, uh, I would not probably have been back in Chicago at home and doing all the things that I did uh, mm. in the business all these years. Had I gotten that job, when I didn't get the job, I was so disappointed when I wanted to jump off a, out of a roof. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> I had been I had been sending out tapes for two years. Wow. You know, trying to get that trying to get that first job. Wow. And so when they when I got rejected there, I was like, oh man, maybe, maybe I should do something else. Although I loved radio. I said, like, I got to do this. So when they offered me a job in Roanoke, Virginia at $80 a week, I was in heaven. I'll take it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, now you weren't married to anything back then, were you? No, no. As a matter of fact, you know, I mean, that was a tremendous advantage because I couldn't do that if I was married and had a wife and all of that. Mm. I didn't get married until I was here. I think I was here about two years before I got married. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I got married uh, in '72, I think it was. Uh, yeah, and wow. I'm still married to the same person. So, just like career-wise and platform-wise. You, you've ventured through with a lot of different genres. So I don't think I've heard you do any hip hop radio, but with the transition from, you definitely were around for the rap era, which actually segued into the hip hop thing. So what do you see now with this music style? I mean, obviously it's totally different, and except for the fact that they're using all these samples. How do you feel? Um, do you like what you hear now? I like some things. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, and I, look, I'm 80 years old, you know what I mean? And so uh, I love music across the board. And I think some things are very creative, but I can't say I'm really in, into rap and hip hop. Uh, just to give you an example of how the market had, was changing, as you pointed out, uh, when I was at WJC, I was program director. And up until 78, when I was replaced by Tom Joyner, um, when the record came out by the Sugar Hill Gang, which was the first really big rap, rap record, right? Mm -hmm. it was, like, it was huge. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't think, I don't hear this at all. I don't know, what, what is that about? You know, and so um, I resisted putting it on my playlist for quite a while. And then the thing really blew up. It blew up so big that uh, a friend of mine who had a record shop on the West Side promotion, a guy named Deke Atkins, 
And uh, he, uh, he had a record store as well as being a record promotion guy. And so I used to hang out with him sometimes. And I'm over there one time when the, when the truck pulled in and delivered uh, the Sugar Hill Gang's record, because everybody in Chicago had sold out. Gardeners, uh, everybody else was, didn't have a record. So he had a connection with, uh, can't think of her name now, and, and Joe Medlin. Sylvia. Gangster, out of, uh, yeah. Uh, right. Sylvia. <laughs> right. Yeah, Sylvia and, and the gangster she was married to. I think yeah, so. Uh, <laughs> Joe Medlin, right. So, so anyway, uh, Deke had a connection. So he got this big shipment. It was so big, uh, Moon. I helped him unload the truck. That's how many of copies they had. And he was the only one in Chicago at that point who had any records because everybody else was sold out. And at that point, I began to realize this is this is this is huge. This is really big. You know what I mean? And I missed the boat on that in terms of thinking what was next. I have to admit, I was late on that, late on my thinking about it. And uh, you know, I mean that 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 was a sign for me that uh, I needed to look at uh, the future in terms of things that were happening musically. And I never did really, I didn't work in hip hop radio. When I was working at BEZ, I mean at, uh, I'm sorry, at BMX, they had, uh, they, had uh, what they, they had house music on some nights hmm. while I was working there. And so, uh, you know, I kind of knew a little bit about that, but which wasn't rap or hip hop. House hmm. music was derived from, uh, Disco and disco went dead. Hip hop kind of borrowed from that and made it a, we created a thing here in Chicago. Chicago was very creative, you know that because you're a Absolutely. musician, Absolutely. you know. So we come up with stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so, so yeah, I missed it. I missed the boat on that. You know, Sugar Hill Gang thing. Just, I mean, it was like. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, man, this ain't that. You know, this is kind of a novelty, right? I'll admit that today. I was, I was totally wrong about that, you know. So. Uh, yeah, it's just like Barry Gordy told, I was interviewing him one time for his book, and he had said, told the story before, but uh, I, I asked him about Marvin Gaye's, what's going on? And, uh, you know, the big story is he hated the record, and he didn't, he thought it wasn't Marvin's, Marvin's image, and he didn't want to do it, and uh, it became the biggest record that Motown ever had. So I said, well, yeah, the truth, you just didn't want to put it out? He said, yeah, he said, you know, uh, I'm entitled to at least one or two mistakes. He said, that was a big mistake on my part. He said, I have to cop to that. So, mm -hmm. you know, we make mistakes, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you had to do this all over again, would you change any paths? I mean, you just admitted that the, the, the gig that you lost led you back to where you are now, essentially, if you hadn't lost that gig. But other than that, would you change any paths? Probably not. The only thing that I would probably, the thing that I would uh, would probably do is, and this would have to be before I got into professional radio, um, I did inquire about some colleges. When I got out of the military in 1964, I was living in Brooklyn, and uh, there was a college in Boston. Emerson College was about radio and, and television, like Columbia was here. And so I uh, considered doing that. I've taken some college courses, but I never, I didn't get a degree. Uh, my mother was very disappointed about that. And so, you know, I, this this thing about doing talk radio, and especially at BEZ, when it's uh, the National Public Radio uh, Station in Chicago, I talked to a lot of people who were well-educated and very knowledgeable. And people who I think assumed that I had that kind of an education because I read a lot and I was able to converse with them and blah, 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 blah. 
I mean, I talked to people who, a lot of people had doctorates and uh, who were head of institutes and all kinds of things. And we, we had good dialogue. Mm -hmm. So I, if I had to do it all over again, I would like to have had, uh, you know, some academic background that I didn't have, even though I got very fortunate in the business. Uh, my mother, she, she, you know, it took her a long time before she, before she accepted the fact that uh, I was kind of successful in what I was doing. Because people kept telling, saying to her when she, when they find out who she was, you were Richard Steele's mother. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that kept. I mean, as that continued to happen, uh, you know, she sort of became okay with it. But she would have rathered that I uh, gone to school and gotten a degree, and so uh, she had to live that through my brother, who he went to school, he got a he got a doctorate in education, and became a principal. So, you know, at least that's that's one. That's <laughs> two. Because I both on tours, so that that I would uh, revisit, and also uh, I didn't learn as much technical stuff as I should have. Um, you know, it's when when the new culture came in, uh, uh, you know, with with stuff that was the new era of communication and things online and learning how to edit digital digital stuff. I didn't learn that, and I, I really regret that I did not do that. I was kind of lazy about that. Um, and at that point, I was near the end of my career, and I said, well, I don't really have to learn that stuff. But I, and I should have, you know, I mean, I should have uh, made it a point to be involved with the, with the new era and digital, uh, all things digital, so to speak, you know. So um, um, that, that I regret, I do regret that. Even at my age now, that I, you know, like, Give me a good example of how that works. I was working, I was, that wasn't a job actually, and I still do it at WHPTA, which is the University of Chicago radio station. You know, it's, and it's a, it's, a, it's a volunteer thing. So when COVID happened, they closed down the station and they were running old tapes that we, of shows we did. So they did that for about, maybe about a year. And then they said, uh, well, look, we want to start live programming again, but not actually live recording stuff. So they said, those of you who have a computer, um, you know, there's a system that we can uh, introduce you to that will allow you to uh, record your show at home. First of all, you needed a, a PC. I didn't have a computer and I didn't even have a laptop. And, I, and my thing was, uh, I'm retired. Am I going to buy a laptop? to do a free show? <laughs> nah, I don't think so, you know. So so uh, when they came back, when they allowed people to come back to the studio, then I came back and uh, was uh, you know, doing a show that I, do, that I do now. But I do regret that I don't have the kind of technical knowledge in digital that I really, even though I'm not doing anything, I really, uh, I, I should know those things, you know. Fortunately, uh, my daughter is very knowledgeable, and my son, who's a lawyer, he, he knows a little bit. But my daughter, she she's really good at all of that. She's really, really, really accomplished. And so, you know. so from a music angle, which is of course, as you know, my forte, favorite artist, non-jazz, all due respect. Well, I'll tell you the the, the best concerts. I've, I'll, I'll name the first the best concerts I've been to. And I'll tell you what my favorite is. The best concerts that I've ever, ever been to in life was James Brown when he had two drummers. Uh, you know, it, was, uh, it, was, it was off the chain. It was uh, off the chain. Uh, I said, 
<laughs> I was at the auditorium theater and like and we was, Sutter, was, Sutter, was that Sutterfield? When the yeah. Band yeah. Was Sutterfield, Clyde Sutterfield. Absolutely. Yeah. Clyde, no, oh, yeah. Yeah. Sutterfield was with him. Yeah. It was like Sutterfield was uh uh yeah. It was like that was amazing to watch. Wow. Um the other live show that was a killer was George Clinton and the uh, and the <laughs> And the uh, the rocket ship coming down at uh, uh, the hell was that show at? I, I, um, well, they, I was with Warner Brothers then, so that was at um, should I want to say the stadium? It was at the stadium. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It was at the stadium. It was at the stadium. Yeah, because right. they had to have they had to have. I remember they right. had oh, to have right. the headroom. You know, right. to lower that thing down. I, I was like, damn, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a hell of a show. I mean, yeah. I will never forget that. One. Yeah. Um, the other one was uh, uh, two more. The other one was uh, Earth, Wind and Fire when Doug Henning was doing the illusions and they would appear and disappear on stage. I, I said, I've never seen a show like that. <laughs> I mean, that was like uh, amazing. Um, but the other one, Man, I took my daughter to, because my kids didn't, they weren't really interested in radio a whole lot, just that you know, I could get free tickets right. to things, you know. So um, I took her with me. To, uh, we went to the Chicago Theater to see Prince. Uh, and man, that, what, a, what a show yeah. that was. I mean, Prince wore it out. And then he had a record out at that point that couldn't get played on the radio called Sexy Motherfucker, right? Yeah. So, um, so you got all these people in, in uh, the Chicago Theater when he got to the lyrics, even though it didn't get played on the radio, everybody in there said, you sexy motherfucker. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, one other one. Uh, I saw Janet, Janet Jackson when she was doing the uh, Control Tour, I think it was. And uh, it's amazing. And the only reason I went was because my daughter uh, wanted to see the show. So my wife and I said, she wanted to go with some friends. And we were like, yeah, I don't think so, you know. So, so my wife said, "Well, you, we were exchanging. Sometimes she'd take her someplace, and sometimes I'd take her someplace." And she said, "You, you should take her to that." And obviously, at that point, I had excellent tickets because I was still the man on the radio. Yeah. And uh, we went to see Janet Jackson, and uh, man, I, you know, you talk about a show. It was just mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, I, you know, it, it blew me away because I didn't. Ex you know, it was cool. I was I was a fan, but I had never seen her in person, and that was a uh, man. That was that was quite an experience. My daughter, I was a hero from then on. You know what I mean? So, those are the ones that were really uh, that really stood out to me. But man, uh, the mothership. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, man. I'm just, you, you know what? You know, um, did you ever attend any of the conventions, the Jack the Rapper or the uh, Sidney Miller's thing? Did you ever go to any of those things? Yeah, I went to Jack the Rapper. Um, and I think, I'm trying to think of whether or not, I think I went to the the last one. I think the last one I went to was when the business was, was swinging over to hip hop and rap, you know, and because he had the name Jack the Rapper, you know, they, you know, yeah. they connected with that, but that wasn't his thing initially. Not at all. But no, but it's but they had a big turnout, you know what I mean? And uh was that uh, the one when they had the right in the hotel in Atlanta? It was, it was, it actually was, yeah. It was. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then uh 
uh, I've been to Sydney Miller's thing. I think that one of one of my experiences at Sydney Miller was uh, I think it was a Sydney Miller thing. Uh, we are yeah, always uh, in LA. Well, always, we were at a hotel, and I'll never forget it. Was we were some disc jockeys standing in the lobby, just shooting the shit, and here comes. Uh, uh, we were talking to uh, uh, what's the name from uh, from uh, Motown. Uh, the fine woman from Motown that uh, was connected with uh, the Jacksons. What's her name? She was too uh, fine. Sylvia. Uh, Sylvia. Sylvia, yeah. So, Jesse walks, we were talking to her and joking and laughing and all that. So, uh, Jesse walks up and she says, uh, so we're talking and so the bell rang for people to come inside put, you know, for the dinner and the award ceremony. So, uh, we're all getting ready to go inside and she said, so Jesse said, so she said, well, I'll see you all later. Jesse said, damn right, I'll see you in your room. You know that? I went, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it was embarrassing to us. You know what I mean? like, yeah. Did he really say that? You know, uh, man, like, oh, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I went, to, I went to a number of those. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was the first time I'd ever, I went to the hotel where we were in one time. The Lermitage, God, that was a beautiful hotel, yeah. you know, like, man. Uh, in L.A. overall, hung out with Fred Rector. That was a whole nother situation. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, I had my, well, let me tell you, this is a quick story about Fred Rector. Fred was the man. He had all the money, you know, his guy uh, out of uh, Miami, uh, Stone, right, who provided all the cash. But Fred was a little, uh, you know, I'm talking about payroll here. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fred was outrageous, you know. So, so uh, uh, the, that particular year, we were at, I can't forget what hotel it was at, but um, Chili Childs from WBEE. Remember Chili? Yeah, yeah. Well, she was a jazz disc jockey, so she decided to go and she was out there. So I had run into Fred earlier. He said, I'm going to come back and pick you up later, man, so we can. We can hang out a little bit. I'll take you. He, said he had a he had an apartment that was overlooking the Hollywood sign. It was like a beautiful situation. So uh, he came back to get me, and I was happened to be talking to Chili in the lobby, and he, she was fine then. And yeah. so Fred, so Fred said, uh, "Oh yeah," he said, I introduced him. He said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, um, why don't you come along with us? You know, like in uh, you know, I, I live in this apartment right overlooking uh, Hollywood, and you know, we can have." few drinks you know socialize and so uh she asked me she said well can, can i come with you i said yeah it's okay so we go to this apartment fred got all the cocaine that anybody ever had in the world right <laughs> and all the everything else anything you wanted to have mm -hmm. so he's trying to hit on chili Childs. chili don't do none of that you know she don't do nothing she don't she don't hang she don't do drugs she don't fuck around, you know what I mean, that kind of thing. So Fred is determined he's going to get her. So he told her, because he asked me, took me aside in, in, a, in a room and said, what do you, what do you think it, be, it takes to get her? He said, you know, like, uh, I'll take her shopping or whatever she wants to do. You know what I mean? I said, Fred, I don't, I don't think she's going for that. He said, they all go for something. He said, I know <laughs> that can happen. You know what I mean? So, 
So when he when he went back out where she was sitting, he did approach her with, uh, you know, would you like to go shopping? You know, like, uh, you know, L.A. has a lot of really fabulous places. Absolutely. You know, Rod Rodale. Rodale Drive, you know what I mean? So, uh, but she was like, nah, I, you know, and then she was kind of turned off by the cocaine. You know, and then she said, well, no, I'd, I'd like to go back to the to my hotel. And so, uh, and I told him, I told you that wasn't happening. So he <laughs> he had one of his boys take her back to the hotel, but that was, that was, and I knew that was going to happen like that. But mm -hmm. she wanted to go. I said, oh, Jesus. I, but I couldn't say, well, no, don't go, because he was standing there. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, uh, but I knew there was nothing happening. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. So that was she one, had of my she had one, one of my <laughs> one of my LA experiences, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, um, let me, there's one thing I wanted to share with you, though, about this whole radio thing. During the entire time that I've been back in Chicago, I've only been out of work maybe about three or four times. And the longest period I was out of work was maybe about a month and a half. And that, to me, as I look back on it, is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, I always I tell my wife all the time, that, I mean, not now, but I used to say to her, I, I was in the business a long time, but I've never made the money that Tom Joyner and Doug Banks made, or even Bob Wall. Mm -hmm. And she has to remind me, she said, listen, you lasted longer than practically anybody in radio yes. and you and you made more than any average person makes on a job <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah you got a point you know and uh and i thought about uh you know all the times that i've been out of work i she also reminded me too is when i was talking about tom joiner and doug banks uh she said well you know consider that your skill set is different i mean you do what you do you play r&b but you can also do, do a talk show and you're well-read and blah, blah, blah. So you were able to switch over yeah. and get a job uh, at WBEZ, you know, uh, situation. And the television. And, and the television thing, too. So she said, uh, she reminds me about that. And I said, you're absolutely right about yeah. that, you know. Yeah, so, uh, um, you know, sometimes we take a wrong turn in terms of our thinking about, about how absolutely. things go. Yeah. 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 That's what I was saying earlier about we take ourselves for granted. Yeah. And luckily, you got a partner to remind you. You know, because it's, uh, you know, and I look at, uh, I look at you and, you know, unfortunately, maybe fortunately for you, 80 ain't old anymore. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, you, you and I had a discussion. Somebody said, I went to a function the other, I went to, as a matter of fact, I went to a funeral the other day and there were a lot of people there. And this was a, a funeral of a member of Narcotics Anonymous that we all knew. And there were a lot of people there who who were really anxious to hug again because you know since COVID we haven't had live right. meetings we're all right. on Zoom. Right. So uh, and so you know I was uh, it's kind of clean you know I had and I have a walking stick but it's kind of slick you yeah. know because I still don't call it a cane I have a right. walking stick. So people kept telling me man Steele you're looking great because they saw that I was 80 they saw it on uh, Facebook right. man you look you look good for 80 man you look, man and so they, like you they said man you know 80 is the new 60 I said. <laughs> 80 is fucking 80 right now. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, uh, you know, I, said, I, ain't, I ain't got that, you know. What I mean? Well, you know, but life, but life is good, though. I mean, you yeah. know, I don't, you know, I, uh, I, I get around, I do what I do, I drive, I don't drive at night anymore, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for the life that I have, yeah. you know, so. A lot of history, Mr. Steele, and I really appreciate your time, and we got to do this again, man, because, you know what um what my issue is again is that when we don't tell our own stories they get 
retold. Eventually, we may not even be around, but they'll change up that shit. And, you know, it'll be your grandchildren and great grandchildren will be reading some shit that never happened, you know, with yeah, your name yeah. on it. So I think it's extremely important. And that's what I'm really, my endeavor now is to capture, you know, Juliana uh, has done a very excellent job with the history makers. Um, but I think that there are a lot of things that, that they miss. I just recently uh, had to ask her to update my history maker site. So, hey man, but at the end of the day, it ain't the end of the day yet. So you still got some miles on you. <laughs> and you know, I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, no way. Yeah, I'm down with that. You know, I, I'm, 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 listen, I'm looking around, man, and I'm losing like two people a month. You know, people just yeah, dropping yeah. dead. And you know, they ain't nowhere near your age. Yeah, so, I mean, there are people, you know, people in this fellowship that I'm in, this NA, and we've been, we've lost a number of people too, you know, so yeah. uh, I've looked at that. My, you know, my, my, my daughter was over here yesterday and she said, because uh, I had an incident the other day uh, where I fell. Well, I didn't fall. I was, I couldn't get up when I was trying to get something up the floor. And because uh, I don't have the leg strength right. in the, that, the particular position that I was in, uh, right. I couldn't get up without some help. So, so uh, my wife, who wasn't here at the time, but I told her about it when she came home, I managed to get up at some point. So when she told my daughter about it, uh, my daughter said, listen, I, I, she said, I got friends in their 40s and I lost two of them last week. She said, you know, it ain't that, it ain't that, it ain't that serious. And then no. she was the one who told me, my wife said it too, but my wife, my daughter really emphasized it. When that party came up that you came to, because of the Omicron thing with COVID, we talked about maybe moving it uh, maybe uh, to the spring or doing it like a month later or whatever, you know, even though we had put up a deposit at uh, Gibson's. My daughter said, Daddy, we love you, but you're 80 years old. We need to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you're absolutely right, you know, yeah. and I'm glad I did it. And I had a great time, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, man, thank you. I'm glad you did this. And again, as Mavis would say, we got to do it. It's actually Pops would say, we got to do it again. <laughs> yeah, I get that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay, That's, buddy. All right, man. Take it easy. And thank, thank you again. Take care, man. Bye-bye.